Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. The voice that you're hearing right now is Mina Shamali. He's singing on the soundtrack for Old World, composed by Christopher Tin. So my, I guess I think of the conversation that I had with Mina in three large parts. So we start off talking about the work that he did with Christopher Tin on Old World. Uh, as a singer, uh, he also plays Oud on the soundtrack, and he served as a consultant for Christopher Tin with regards to Arabic music and pronunciations in the Arabic language. In addition to his work with Christopher Tin on Old, Old World, Mina hosts a radio show in Australia. It's called Game Show, and it's an hour-long radio show highlighting music from games. For instance, as I record this, his most recent show is subtitled Choral Scores and Vocal Roars in Video Games. So that gives you an idea. He themes the shows and then plays video game music for an hour. It's fantastic. And it airs on Fridays in Australia on their ABC, Australia Broadcasting Corporation. And you also can stream it online. Game Show from Mina Shamali. That's his radio show. The third thing that we cover is spoken word poetry or performance poetry. So this is uh, yet another artistic endeavor that's a part of Mina's life. So we spend time talking about that toward the end of the conversation. Um, At some point in the beginning, he says something about get on the horn and I'm like, I think it's an American phrase. It's totally not. Uh, So, you know, whatever. It's like British maybe from sailing and ships and such, who knows, but it's, it's not American. So forgive me that transgression. Please come join us on Discord to talk about this and other episodes. You'll find a Discord link in the show notes. And we'll have an episode up on YouTube eventually, too. Find us at youtube.com slash levelwithemilyreese. If you have the financial means to become a patron, we definitely could use your support. Find us at patreon.com slash level. You'll get a breakdown of all the perks uh, for varying levels of patronage. So back to Mina who starts off by explaining how he ended up working with Christopher Tin on Old World. So here's the story. Uh, I get a tag on on Facebook. Uh, Someone's tagged my name, and... What it was, was Christopher Tin had posted, uh, hey, I need someone who does Middle Eastern vocals. Uh, and a composer that I know that has heard my work said, Mina Shamali, fantastic, within like five minutes. Wow. Cool. Oh, oh my God, you t- it's Christopher Tin asking, hmm, okay, 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 <laughs> don't freak out, don't freak out, don't freak out, this guy's amazing. Uh, wow. And, we, you know, we'd been playing his music, uh, loved his music for many, many years, so mm-hmm. like... To think to think that there's a possibility I might work with him was just surreal. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, I got in contact with him, sent him sent him a message, sent him an email. Uh, he's like, "Yeah, cool. Let's 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 talk about it." And he sent an email about, uh, "Oh, I need I need some uh, Middle Eastern voc- uh, performers for this very Middle Eastern based score, uh, but also I'm wondering if you'd be willing uh, to." be a consultant uh, where I can ask you a whole bunch of questions about Middle Eastern music mm-hmm. uh, and the things that I can't Google, basically. Huh. You know, like, you, you know, because when there are linguistic barriers as well and some things aren't do- well documented in English, uh, you can't just Google it and approximate, I think these 
letters written backwards might mean Dorian. It it just won't, <laughs> won't work that way. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously there's translations and everything, but you wouldn't even know where to look. Um, sure, it's just a yeah. vast world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, absolutely. We, we got on the horn. Um, I keep using that that term. We got on the horn, and then good. some people are like, should. "What are you talking about?" No, it's a good. That's a good one. I, I think that's very American. I I could be wrong, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know but either. Yeah. We <laughs> uh, we got on the horn, and we had this wonderful three hour session just talking Middle Eastern music um, and all the things that because he he had some limited experience, but he was really just exploring it. And we started mm-hmm. talking. He's like, "Okay, uh, if I did this, is that like?" Is that is that silly or is that is that interesting? Um, yeah. And the crux of it that I found through the conversation is like, you whatever you bring to it is going to be fantastic because your intention has already been shining through. Like your intention isn't to exoticize uh, Middle Eastern music, mm-hmm. which happens a lot. And the thing is, I I personally don't necessarily have an issue with people, you know, mixing in Middle Eastern things or things from other cultures. It's the way it's done because sometimes I'll listen to something and I'll it, there's there's a response they're like mm, that that was a bit cheesy yeah uh, it's just at the very least it's creatively uninteresting right it's like, <laughs> so it's going the going the steps beyond hey here's a harmonic minor so we, we were Middle Eastern we're done yeah. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> But we sp- we were also speaking about this this Arabic suite specifically was a focal point, uh, which is the last four tracks of the album. Uh, these like four movement suite that the game's director Leila Johnson, who's uh, of Lebanese origin, and uh, you know it was her impetus to work with Chris because they'd worked together uh, before on Civilization and Off World Trading Company, and uh, she said. If I wanted a fully authentic Middle Eastern score, I would have hired a Middle Eastern uh, composer. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the game was looking for. Sure. You know? yeah. The game is a mix of things with a focus on the Middle Eastern culture. So we ended up uh, just chatting about all these things and, and modes and ideas ideas that, you know, he's like, I came across this idea. Is that, is that what it is? And we can elaborate on concepts in Middle Eastern music. Um, but then also we were talking about what I would do, which was uh, provide some vocals, provide some ouds. Uh, and because there are a lot of improvisatory elements yes. uh, in Middle Eastern music, there's still yeah. some solid things. This, the same way you'd have uh, maybe a jazz tune with like, here's the melody, and then here's like, you know, half an hour of improv, yeah. uh, <laughs> which can happen a lot. So like, here's sure. your, here's like your the crux of it. So... We were talking about how we would work with that, and I was like, look, I'm going to just improvise a few things, send them your way, and then you work with them. Because as a composer, I like to work that way. I like to, when I'm working with a session musician, um, I'm interested in what they have to bring. And, and especially if they're, from, they're bringing a different cultural focus, I like to see uh, – their practice, their relationship with culture, mm-hmm. and then bring it in. I could give them a key, I could give them a tempo, or I could let them freehand it. But I love hearing people just cut loose and do something that I could never conceive of because my mind isn't even across that at that point. So yeah. once they bring it to the table, I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. This is making sense. And 
Now I have to I have to make sure that I as a composer are matching them and matching what they, the amazing thing they've brought. So I have no problem. Like, you know, yeah, I get asked to improvise things all the time. I'll improvise things and uh, see what you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was really wonderful uh, to then hear the results yeah. of what Chris did. It's like, here's here's some things. And he sends me back the, uh, the tracks he wrote. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there insecure about how I've performed and everything, and you've just taken it to a whole other level. Quite an incredible uh, process. I bet. And I did, yeah. And also because at that time, sorry, tangents on tangents on no, tangents. No, please continue. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> uh, one of the other one of the other instrumentalists uh, on the track, uh, Camille Ferrari, is a friend of mine who is also an expert uh, in Middle Eastern music uh, tradition and history. Okay. Uh, he also came from a background of doing electronic music, so he was like doing the thing of completely innovating on the art form while still understanding its roots. And I was like, oh, you need to meet Camille. So like we introduced him to Camille and they had conversations of their own as well. Uh, and he ended up uh, playing two instruments, the Qanun and the Ney, uh, on on the track right after me okay. um, in the album. Okay. Which we recorded in, in, in the studio, which was fantastic. Oh, neat. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so it was really fun to to be for him to be able to have his part of the process and all the different people that Chris had collaborated with, uh, like yeah. Lael Watfe in the in the final track, and then Abir Name in the in the original uh, the the title track or the main okay. the first track of the album. Yeah. I lift yeah. my eyes, and even then, like when we had our consultation, Chris and I. He hadn't settled on the text. He and Leila hadn't settled on the text yet. So we were even talking about that. And he even said, oh, what's the the text? This thing called the Qasida, which is just the Arabic word for poem. Okay. You know? Okay. It's like, it's things <laughs> like that. It's like, it's. Uh, I always find it funny when they go, oh, they go to a school called the Madrasa. It's like, Madrasa just means school. It's just a, <laughs> they went to school. Just means The school, school isn't yeah. just called a madrasa. It's just, it's just a school. <laughs> it's not even a formal word. I don't know where you're getting yeah. this from. <laughs> so it's really, it's just, that's the kind of thing that I just find really funny sometimes is, yeah. is yeah. when some words that are just super ordinary everyday words get given this like heightened importance because yeah. you don't necessarily know what that means. Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. Uh, so that's been fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, tell me a little bit about your background. Then you clearly you speak Arabic fluently. Is that that is correct? It's. Uh, Such I mean, a I learned Arabic and English uh, concurrently. So okay. Just oh, growing up. Okay. Uh, and I and French, but then that kind of dropped off a while, a while ago. Okay, but where but, did you grow up then? Because it does not sound like you grew up in Australia. That you learned Australian English. You know what I mean? So yeah, I uh, so I was born I was born in Alexandria in Egypt, uh, okay. to oh. a an Egyptian mom and a father of Lebanese background, but who'd also lived in Egypt. Okay, but 
so I had a strong connection to to both the Lebanese and the Egyptian side, mm-hmm. um, just for my families. Yeah. And immediately, my parents moved to Dubai. Like I was just oh wow nothing okay. years old, so it's like yeah. <laughs> I we moved to Dubai, yeah. Okay. Moved to Dubai. So I spent the first fifteen years of my life in Dubai in the UAE. Oh, wow. Uh, so to me, I was already on on a land that wasn't mine. I was already an immigrant the moment I was, you know, the moment I knew how to speak. Sure. Uh, and so already I felt like I wasn't from there, but it was home, which sure, is a, it's yeah. just a weird, and being Middle Eastern is like, yeah, we're all Middle Eastern, but you're a different kind of Middle Eastern. So uh, you, you're, you're not really from here. And then when I would mm-hmm. go to visit Egypt, it's like, ah, you're not the Egyptian that lives in Egypt. So you're not really from here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ha- I still haven't been to Lebanon at this point, as as of recording. Okay, uh, and, but I want to. I really want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, um, I'd love to. And then too. we came to Australia in two thousand two. My with the whole family okay. migrated to Australia, uh, so I've been here for twenty years. Okay, and okay. yeah, but it's it's. I think someone pointed it out recently in terms of my accent. Is that the words you say sound American, but your speech patterns are more Australian. Okay, yeah. And that's where I recognize, oh my God, that's why I don't actually sound like like a real American person of any persuasion. It's like, or of yeah. any accent, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe there's one state where someone speaks exactly like me, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's just um, uh, amazing. To, w- when you think about you know, home. I mean, for me, I didn't grow up in this city, but this is home now. But I mean, I also have a different home, right? So when, when yeah. you, th- what do you think of? Do you feel that way about, like personally, regardless of what other people think, do you feel that way about Egypt or Dubai or both? Or I think because Dubai is where I kind of, the first memory I have sure. is the years of Dubai. Um, I think of Dubai as home. Although, now, 20 years removed from it, it probably is almost unrecognizable because yeah. even the UAE as a whole has just kind of advanced beyond it. And the interesting thing is my dad was an engineer back there, and so he participated in a lot of the projects that changed the face of Dubai. Yeah. I'm not saying like he single-handedly did it, but he was part sure. of those projects. Sure. Uh so even like the making Khalifa, the islands and things yeah. like that, and well, not the I think the islands were after we left, or okay. they were you know they yeah, were, I mean that's <laughs> they were completed yeah. after yeah. Sure. But he was part of the Burj Khalifa, for example. Okay. Um, so that was just like really interesting. It's like oh, his company was working on that, and he was uh, project managing. And I was, wow. I was like, wow, okay. So I can <laughs> look at that and be like, that is that is a mark of my f- <laughs> a mark of my family. Like no one cares, <laughs> but you no, know, I but mean, I can look at it deal. and be like. <laughs> yeah, no, that's amazing. That's like that's huge. That's very cool to have that connection to such a famous spot, you know? I, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But like, it's it's weird because it's like it is weird because I feel like I I can say it and it, it would sound like a cool fact, but I don't know what it means now. I just it yeah. just. <laughs> but I think yeah, I think the home that I long for is Lebanon because I've. I feel like I grew up with the Lebanese side of my family and Lebanese friends and connected to that, but through always through screens and through secondhand experience. But I'd love to go to Lebanon and yeah. really actually feel what it's like to walk uh, walk on the lands that, like, you know, my, my great-grandparents great would have walked on. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
and yeah, so Egypt, I think I, I have an interesting relationship with because it's like ever present. Yeah. So ever present in the background being like the uh, the diaspora and uh, it's the stronger focus in my family. But I'm not sure. Like I, I've always had like mixed feelings. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I miss going there. Sometimes I'm like, I don't want to go there. And it's just <laughs> <laughs> and it's like. Like you have a lot of family there, and like everyone kind of pil- makes a pilgrimage to Egypt at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't like, I like uh, sometimes I sometimes I miss it, sometimes I don't. But that's because it's there all the time. Sure, um, yeah. Which is I don't know what that says about me. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And being in Australia, that's the same maybe with Australia. Like if I left Australia for the for ten years, maybe like oh I miss Australia. But yeah. I feel like here's where I became an adult. Sure. Like yeah. in Australia is where I became an adult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's a very different experience. It is. Yeah, because I only grew up till fi- till, the, till I was 15 in Dubai. Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, you know, what's, what's better? Like, if I want to like hang out, would I go to Dubai or would I go to, to Melbourne? I'm like, well, I was a kid. I was a child. <laughs> I don't know what the night spots are. Right? So I can't tell you. But yeah. I will be having your same experience if we visit Dubai now. Like, yeah. I will be an adult going to Dubai for the first time yeah. in, in, in this context. This is not... <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. So, yeah. Well, let's get back to the music part then, because, um, I mean, uh, Middle Eastern music, Arabic music, uh, it's such a, it's completely different than Western music in, in many ways. Obviously, commonalities abound between all musics, but, um, mm. you know, scales, harmony, um, singing style, and that's what I love the most uh, about well, tonality too. I love I love the harmonies. So I mean, I'm I'm a big fan <laughs> of Arabic music. But the singing is it's so special, and I love melismas. It's it's like one of my favorite things, and that's one of the things that drew me to chant Byzantine, Gregorian, all mm. the chant styles when you know way back in the day, and yeah. it's what draws me to Arabic music. So so talk about that if you would, and how you learned because I I mean. I, I imagine there was training involved in that, or I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd love to just know your your musical mm. path there. So it's interesting you say training because yes and no. Yeah. Because uh, I, was, I wasn't formally trained in music until I went to university. Okay. Um, and even though I was, I was studying to be a composer, so I was never kind of like trained as a vocalist. Okay. But I come from the Coptic Orthodox Church, and that's kind of like I grew up in the church and singing Coptic Orthodox chants um, that are kind okay. of like an off, imagine an offshoot of Greek Orthodox chants, sure, uh, or Byzantine chants, but like a more Middle Eastern version of it. Okay, uh, yeah. So we and a lot of melismas, like there's you can literally say five minutes on one vowel. So the idea of a melisma and how you play with that vowel, mm-hmm. like just technically speaking, beyond the spirituality of it. Uh, was just some. It's just something. Ing- like I grew up with it, and I grew up with this idea of uh, quarter tones and Middle Eastern uh, tuning systems that mm-hmm. were inherent to the language of uh, Orthodox tunes mm-hmm. uh, or cha- or these chants. So I always kind of that was never strange to me. Like I was never having to learn. Oh, this 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 weird tune note is like, yeah. where is it? I had to learn where it is on a piano because uh, that it wasn't on a piano. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then when I first heard about a quarter tone, a quarter tone piano, I'm like that's interesting. And I was like, oh, you're exploring this in a very different way. This has nothing to do with Middle Eastern music. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> this is like there's a quarter tone between every notes. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> this is like completely like devoid of this cultural outlook, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't a bad thing. I'm just saying, as, yeah, just yeah, as a yeah, realization. No. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I just grew up singing, singing in church, and it's funny because that phrase means a lot of things to a lot of people. But singing in phrase means singing in these melismatic chants in Middle Eastern tunings, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and at the same time, uh, listening to Middle Eastern music, Middle Eastern pop music. Uh, sure. Is, yep. It's kind of like was my background, but then you'd hear some classical era because like, whoa, that's like even. <laughs> To someone who was like listening to a lot of uh, Middle Eastern pop music, the classical Arab music where it's it could be an hour long song, uh, basically, because it's like a symphony, basically. It's like yeah. a vocal symphony, which I came to understand much later. Huh. But it's yeah. just like it's like it, it had a lot of similar things where uh, you'd have a mawel, which is that vocal improvisation, the that's kind of rubato, that's kind of arrhythmic or not strictly like continuous and uh, regular sure. uh, but it's like wow just like you know the the famous kind of voices like um kalthum <laughs> and then also like um, the other there's a lot of other classical Arabic singers that are uh, worth listening to, like Sabah Fakhri, and then like there's Muhammad Abdul Wahab, who's like one of the great songwriters, and then the older ones of Sayyid Darwish, like the ones who, uh, and then even some traditional songs uh, that some even originated outside of the Middle East, outside of like Arab countries, it's like songs like Ishgidara Gider Iken, the Turkish song, which. Um, I think Eartha Kitt sang at one point, oh, neat. and it's originally a Turkish song. But I grew up with it in the church. There's a version of it in the church, and then oh, there's wow. a Syrian version. There's a Lebanese version. There's an Egyptian version. There's an Islamic version. Um, okay. And there's a Bulgarian version. And it's it's one of those melodies that's. And then I heard it in the soundtrack of Civilization Six as the Arabia theme. I was like, <laughs> okay, so this is really cool. So yeah. there's all these kind of different sources that were in the back of my head. Yeah, uh, yeah. Around it. And, you know, you just absorb different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even now, I don't claim to, I never claim to be an expert. I say, I know what I know based <laughs> on multiple things, based on lived experience. Mm-hmm. But yep. I'm always still learning what these things about my own culture are. And even yeah. during the process of old world, I was I was learning some things. In a sense, like things were snapping into focus. Sure. You know, you yeah. learn something and you're like, ah, it's that thing, mm-hmm. but versus learning it entirely from scratch. And yeah. I think that's the difference. It's like when you're trained to be a doctor, uh, you, you doesn't necessarily mean you know everything all the time. It yeah. just means that when you're presented with a new problem, you have the skills to say, to, for something to snap into focus, yeah. it could be that, even if you're not sure. And I think that's kind of where that experience comes in. Is I'm not here to say I'm the authority of Middle Eastern music and you're gonna listen to me. It's like <laughs> it's like 
if there's one thing that we can arrive at together, it can snap into focus. And I can assure you that that's a really, really interesting idea in the context, in the wider context of things that I know. Mm -hmm. Well, it really is. It's almost like you read my mind because one of my questions was going to be like, you know, who are some artists that that you would recommend that that someone like I listen to, or someone who's never listened to any Middle Eastern music or explored that world at all? And so I'm glad you listed those names, and I would I would be so grateful if you would type that list out. That'd be amazing. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then then we can put some playlists together or something like that. Um, because it's so it's just so it's so fabulous. Um, so you also play oud though. So and you also said something like. Sorry, there's a little spider on my computer. Um, you said oh, something. Nice. <laughs> we actually have little spiders here, unlike you guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, no the, wonder Spider-Man is a fantasy in your world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so back to oud. I noticed that you said some, you plural, you said ouds. So that made me very curious. Uh, Did but, I? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't know if you had more than one oud or if. I do, but. That, okay, okay, that's... okay. Maybe you're, yeah. But in any event, talk about the oud because it's a beautiful, um, you know, strummed lute like instrument. So guitar ish ish um but yeah. just talk talk to us a, a little bit about it and what makes it special because it it has some really beautiful properties to it so for me i grew up i just don't know a time in my life where i did not know what a node is sure what a, yeah. well i'm gonna say oods i'm gonna say it in it's and it's originally oods which okay. is a, a letter that doesn't exist in english i'm very aware of that okay uh, <laughs> but i i want i want to be an ambassador for for Hearing it's pronounced as Oud as much as possible. <laughs> so tell me how to pronounce it. Tell me again. Let me put on my right. other earphone. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. So Oud. Oud. So that. So the letter. The, the, the way I explain it, and it's funny because this was this factors back into old world in a way, and I'll tell you in a moment why. Yeah. Um, you know when someone does an impression of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. You know that that noise they make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the letter. See, it's the back of your throat. Oh. Oods. 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 There it is. See, and I can tell now why I thought you put an S on the end, because the D is a little softer, right? Yes. It's like, <laughs> yeah, so I thought you had an S on it, but you didn't. You're just pronouncing it properly, which is awesome. Um, and so, so the reason yeah. I say this links into Old World is because one of the things Chris asked me to do was uh, create a little vocal guide track and pronunciation guide for the choir sure. for the for the first track because it was the angel city chorale and none of them speak arabic <laughs> uh, but they're have having to sing arabic lines mm -hmm. so i literally made this pronunciation guide it's like okay do an impression of all schwarzenegger and do that uh, for for this phrase okay and then like here's yeah. your diphthong here's no diphthong here's like it's yeah. like i got into, into like <laughs> minute detail to mm -hmm, kind of like mm -hmm. To, just to provide context, in the end, if they if they only heard it and just did an impression, it would have been fine. But it's yeah. like, let me give you the story behind the story because I think you will appreciate knowing that. Yes. Um, for the <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway. <laughs> so back so, to the instrument. Yes. Oods. 
Uh, yes. Yeah, so there, there was never a time in my life I didn't know what it was. And I'd always kind of craved to play it, but I never had one. Mm. Um, I, or I don't think I knew that I craved to play it until I got my hands on one. <laughs> uh, and when I started playing keyboards and then I started playing guitars, like I was, I was like, I had the interest to be like, oh, I saw someone play guitar. I'm like, I think I want to play the guitar. And then I played guitar for a few years and uh, then... 10 years into that journey, I was like, okay, I think I want to try the Oud. Because I was at a friend's place and I, they had a Oud, so I started playing it. And I'm like, ooh, this feels nice and feels a little natural as a guitarist. Cool, let me, I'll try the Oud. And I started playing it. Yeah. And like immediately found like, oh, this is very difficult because uh-huh. <laughs> there are no frets and you got to right. kind of, uh, so your intonation needs to be spot on. But even today, I kind of, uh, I'll pick it up and I always have that little thing of like, I'm not confident with this. I'm not like, uh, I'm definitely not a virtuoso. I, I can do it. I can do it enough to fool people. Yeah, uh, nice. <laughs> but immediately as I started playing it and I started kind of like bringing it out to gigs and to poetry gigs. So I started playing it with poets. Oh, cool. And at the time I was working on two two poet friends. Each of them was releasing an album around the same time. And I was working on both their albums. And one of them asked me to play a oud uh, for a piece of his that talks about ancient Greece. He's he's his background is Greek, but he thought it would be cool to have a oud for for his piece about ancient Greece, which was amazing. Yeah. So and I had a really cool uh, way of recording that and just doing my own improvs and responding to his poetry. And then within that same year, uh, I'd started. Uh, meeting composers, meeting other composers who are doing media music, you know, and because there, there's, you know, there's people who think screen music is all Hans Zimmer and John Williams and like five other people and that's it. Yeah. But then there's like a plethora of other people who are doing other things that, you know, everyone's heard of, but they don't necessarily know who they are. And then mm-hmm. there are people who are working full time in a variety of other roles. And mm-hmm. I started meeting multiple levels of people. And through one of the groups that I joined, that I was invited to join, um, someone was talking about the oud, or talking about Middle Eastern instruments. It's like, well, I, I can I can record some, uh, <laughs> and I had someone else reach out to me, uh, who was, <laughs> this is kind of funny <laughs> because <laughs> the, he, he reached out to me to play for his soundtrack and just you know do a little improv and then do some rhythmic stuff. The game soundtrack he was doing. Ended up being like maybe one of the game itself. The game soundtrack was fantastic because he was a great composer. Yeah. But the game itself was probably one of the worst rated ever. Oh, no. <laughs> and I don't even know if I'm going to say what it is, but. <laughs> you don't have to. It's okay. Yeah. I, I think that I I want to talk about it, but I think I want to get his blessing first to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think enough. it makes any sense because this person now works with Hans Zimmer. So it's like, yeah. um, and he worked with him on June and No Time to Die. So. This is going to be like a funny story for him. Uh, <laughs> but what was really cool was just like, that was the first time I'd played Oud on a soundtrack. Neat. And it was surreal to to hear it, to, to see footage of the game. And then mm-hmm. there was this cut scene where you just hear the Oud exposed. Oh, I was neat. like, whoa. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's really kind of, I'm out there. And that's also <laughs> when I started talking about uh, offering my voice as a, as a recording session artist. Because... I didn't realize this path could be possible because huh. I had resorted, not res, resort, no, resigned, even resigned isn't the right word, but I had thought in my mind, I want to be a composer 
I never yeah. thought about being a session musician. I want to be a composer mm -hmm. or a songwriter or those kinds of things. And I never thought about the path of being a session musician as part of it, mm -hmm. but then just kept, you know, every now and then I'd get someone looking for a Middle Eastern vocal or, or an oud, uh, and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll record some. Yeah, and here we are, and now I'm like, okay, cool. I can actually say I've done this <laughs> a few yeah. times. Yeah, and I think especially after Old World, like not, before Old World, I had I had done projects that I was proud of, but Old World was like, okay, if someone asks for a demo, I'll just send them Old Worlds. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like it's a great like it's a great uh, thing to be able to say. I worked with one of the, one of the best in the business. Mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. it, it's surreal. I'm like, yeah. So and when he kind of ends up saying, oh, you know, like, oh, thanks for your musicality and and your virtuosity. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? This is amazing. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, at this point, I, I consider Chris a friend, mm -hmm. but in a weird way, I'm still starstruck by him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's the same. I think it's the same with a lot of composers. It's like if you respect their work and really appreciate their work, yeah, it's really hard to wrap your head around them becoming a version of a peer, you yeah, know? Yeah, It's like, well, sure. yeah, we kind of do similar things. We're in the same industry. Maybe your budgets are bigger. Maybe that's why I respect <laughs> you. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, no, but like, yeah, I don't want to fall into that, into that trap because yes, because, you know, composers are people and we're people and you were. Yeah, uh, I mean, but, but I know, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> Definitely know what you mean. Um. Let's talk I'm fairly about... sure you're going to need to edit like half of that off. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 these... no, no, no. No, it's all good. It's all good. But I do want to talk about the radio show because, uh, I mean, first off, pro tip, if you search game show ABC, you're going... I know. And you live in the U.S. especially because ABC uh, here means something different. So... I, I just search it with your name, which then immediately <laughs> it, it comes up um, because ABC. It's, even if you search the word classic, it's it'll be like ABC brings back a classic game show. <laughs> yeah, right. No, exactly. Because I think I put in, what was the, I did put one word in and I was like, well, that's not going to help at all. Just put the his name, name in. So, the yeah. name wasn't no, my the idea. The name wasn't my idea. The name is great. Like it's just, it's just a common, <laughs> fr it, that's what you want is something memorable and, you know, so I totally get that it's just it's just funny but it's it's a great name and and one of my favorite things about the show is th how you theme each episode and that's something i always find to be very difficult to oh, come up yeah. with a theme so I, I just i just would love to hear your thoughts first of all when did you start the show and you know just talk about about that i i love it go ahead sure sure so the first episode of the show aired in early 2018. Okay. And uh, before that, I I had a... So it's a funny thing because it's through my interests in video game music and then through my performance poetry that I felt that, cool, I, that's something I could work with. But I never thought about a radio show. I had been doing videos on YouTube, you know, reviewing software... Uh, reviewing software instruments and VSTs and those kinds of things. And I also started interviewing composers okay. uh, and just talking about projects. And I started, you know, I started having PR contacts. It's like, this is weird. weird. Like there's a whole other world <laughs> that I hadn't known. And yeah. then this is like, whoa, okay, this is, this is really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, composers, uh, 
promoting their projects and talking about them. And uh, I was introduced to that world, and that was great. And I felt a comfort in speaking to another human about something we both love mm -hmm. and something we both, at least, at least I was trying to do it, <laughs> something that they had <laughs> done uh, in a successful manner at that point. And so doing all these things meant that I had some material out in the world that said I can talk on a microphone to a camera sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in the radio world, I can talk to a microphone to a, an audience that I don't see. Mm -hmm. Which means the to in this the recording booth is your stage. Great, so <laughs> that was happening, and then I was doing a, a lot of performance poetry, and you know being very comfortable on a microphone and speaking to people, mm -hmm. and at the same time I was looking for work. And ABC Classic had a presenter role going uh, for one of their other shows, and I applied for it. Uh, didn't get it. No one got it apparently, <laughs> but. Two and a half years later, I get an email and they're like, we're looking at a video game music show and you had a resume that was full of video game music stuff, oh, including my, my, uh, my last year at university, I did a 10,000 word project, research project on the music of Assassin's Creed 2. Oh, in, sweet. <laughs> in a music composition, in a music course that was focused on art, Western art music, okay. where like, even interactive media music wasn't part of the deal. So, but thankfully, I had a supervisor that was very kind of uh, supportive and nice. like you know very proud, very proud of his uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, of his students kind of pursuing things that they want to do. Nice. And uh, yeah, that conversation happened. So <laughs> they even get me in, and we start talking about it for an hour. They're like, oh, hope we're, you're you're not thinking that we're just trying to drain a lot of knowledge out of you, and then we'll kind of pull the rug out of you. It's like. In an hour, you can't get, you can't possibly get right. all that I have to say on video game music, or all that video game music has to say. Right. So it's like, right. so don't worry. Like, I will yeah. talk freely about. You don't. Know, you could just, if someone says, "Hey, come and talk with me for, <laughs> for a couple of hours about video game music once a week," I'll do it. I'll do. You don't even have to pay me to do that. <laughs> That's just my life at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, we start doing the radio show, and at that point. I feel a lot of trust from uh, from there and from the producers and the other presenters. It's like, I haven't done this. How do you think I could, why do you think I could do this? <laughs> but it's like, they had seen that I had done something of the sort. They're mm -hmm. like, yeah, we know you're going to be fine. Yeah. Like you you have demonstrated, you have demonstrable experience yeah. about this. So uh, we started doing it and here we are four and a half years later. It's very exciting because I... I th what what excites me, one of the things that excites me the most is people who don't play video games who then discover video game music. Right. And I think that's been one of the most exciting things about doing the show and just about my journey with video game music in general. I listen to a lot of game soundtracks for games I haven't played. Oh, yeah. Because, because they can exist outside of that context and stand alone beautifully. Like, yes. I knew the whole Journey soundtrack before I played Journey, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And when people can kind of like experience that and even when they hear on the show, I love that when we contextualize a story, it's very similar to a concert program. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're giving background to Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique, mm -hmm. it's like you don't necessarily have that whole tale 
in the back of your head unless someone tells you. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. <laughs> unless someone tells you that this is what happened and this is what led to this composition and this is what he's trying to illustrate. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. Uh, so I think that's always really interesting. And it's the same mm-hmm. with film music because film and TV music, I, I love a lot of things I haven't watched. But yes. The, oh, yeah. And music can uniquely stand outside of the medium of a visual medium uh, and be consumed on its own as its own experience. And I think that's, that's just very exciting to me. Yeah, yeah. So do you make the show there in your studio? Do you go to their studios? How do you, how do you assemble it? Oh, we do it at the ABC studios. Okay, okay. Um, though, to be fair, during the pandemic times, uh, there was a year where it was all happening from within sure. my studio. Yeah, uh, yeah. And th- the funny thing is, because I just remember, it's like, oh, if you ever need me to record from home, I can do it. This is way pre-pandemic. Yep. So, yeah. uh, so when it came time to us, I, I get the call. I was like, can you do it from the studio? Because we don't really want anyone coming in right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and so some people had to kind of like scramble and make up a setup. I already mm-hmm. had the setup. So I was yep. like, cool, I'm set. I'm yeah, set. yeah. Same thing happened to <laughs> me I when all that happened. I don't think anyone noticed Sorry. <laughs> that the same thing happened to me when when we were told okay you can't come to the school anymore because at the time I was working for the jazz station in town which was in a high mm. school. And so when they shut down the high schools we weren't allowed to go in but because I had been doing the podcast at home I had I had a setup so it made it nice. made it a little easier <laughs> but but it wasn't quite as professional as what you've got going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think it's – I think it's the same. You're seeing my wife's setup behind me because oh. we share a studio. <laughs> well, what we does share she a do? Studio. She's a composer. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, we met at music school. We met oh, studying nice. music, to, okay. studying composition, okay. and uh, then kind of like here we are now like sharing a studio, and she does – it's funny because she, she does a bit of film music, and I do video game music, and then sometimes yeah. we'll swap. But uh, Oh, funny. It's really fun. It's really yeah, fun. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I will say though, like the thing about starting to do the show is, I then started to kind of think of people like Emily Reese, who <laughs> who have really pioneered this art form in the mainstream. If mm. if I can, if I I don't know how to how to describe it because <laughs> when I say, oh, I do, I present video game music on the radio, it's like that is so niche. I'm like, <laughs> well, here's the godmother of niche, Emily Reese. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, you know, I'm going to flip the interview on you now. Oh, dear. Okay. All right. We'll see how good I can deflect it back, but go ahead. <laughs> you weren't ready for this, were you? <laughs> Not usually, no. <laughs> uh, no, so, because I came across uh, your stuff on Top Score, I think back yeah. in 20, 2011, 2012. Um, mm-hmm. Had you been doing it far be- before that? No, 2011 is when that show started. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... It started early, I think, like February or something like that was the first maybe interview or maybe March or something like that. And then I think April 2011, I think. I'd have to go look at the archive. But uh, but yeah, that's, yeah wow. that's when that was. Oh, so I caught you like in the early days. Yeah, then. you did right away. Yeah. So it's been 12 years now. I mean, it's wow. so different now than what it was then. And even then, when I was at Minnesota Public Radio, the show went through many different changes, you know, that were asked of, you know, whatever to fit the format or to whatever. So it, it was very different a number of times through my time there. Yeah. Um, and just now it's just so, it's just a totally different 
totally different <laughs> show, I think. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, same any, subject, right? But Yeah, right. Yeah, had anyone had else been really doing that uh, before? Not to my knowledge. You, cause I, cause there I, were podcasts yeah, that covered, I know there were some chiptunes podcasts mm. um, and some 8-bit focused podcasts. I don't know that there were any modern video game music podcasts at the time. Interesting. And because certainly find, no radio think, shows. Yeah. No radio shows. Yeah, and yeah. that's the thing. That's the thing. I think that's the thing for me when I started the show is I was listening to internet radio that where they mm. played video game music. And I just mm-hmm. be, you know, um, off on a part-time job and I just put a, put on in the background. And yeah. I get excited. It's like, ooh, my favorite, my favorite artist is coming on. Oh, my favorite soundtrack is coming on. And thinking how cool it would be one day to hear wow. video game music on mainstream radio. Yeah. <laughs> Little yeah. Did, I, did I know this. Someone was, someone somewhere was saying, it's like, you want to hear that? You're going to have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the way I thought about it then and still do now in a lot of ways is that radio, especially, you know, like any industry, has a personality to it. And radio tends to be just a little slow in catching up to what else is happening in media. You know, like, I feel like public radio in particular Mm. was, like, really difficult to, like, drag them into the digital age, (laughs) you know? And so there was just... Is it because there's a big... Sorry, continue. Oh, not at all. I was just going to say, it was like, we met nothing but resistance. Nothing but resistance the whole time. The whole time. So, I mean... I mean, there's stories that I can't talk about, but um, (laughs) it was just, it was a constant struggle to make, which you can't make anyone understand anything ever, but to help, to try, to try (laughs) and to illuminate the art, right? And to Mm. be like, listen, I, I, all day, Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, all day, all day. Yeah, but absolutely, yeah, right. <laughs> but <laughs> I also love rock and soul and R and B and rap, and I love jazz mm. and I love video game music, and all of these have a place in the world of music, and absolutely. all of these have deserve to be revered. You know, so it was just a constant, a constant, constant struggle. That's the only way I can describe it. Really. <laughs> That's real. I think it's really interesting because the lucky thing is there's not a lot of detractors um, in this day and age. Yeah, there no, are I know, still yeah. people who yeah. who are vocal about you know video game music doesn't belong in classical radio, or especially like when when it's called ABC Classic, it's like it yeah. invites that idea of and it just it just then opens up the idea of like okay if we're really gonna have this conversation. <laughs> And we're gonna define what what classical means, and then if you mean every, anything uh, until 1750, and everything after 1750 wasn't isn't allowed, then that opens up some holes in your love of Tchaikovsky and Mahler, you know. Yeah. And, and then it's like, okay, how, we're gonna start talking about the John Cage of it, or the Takemitsu of it, or yeah. the Charles Ives. Are we gonna talk about that? If if you have no objection to that, then this is all a logical. A logical conclusion, right? Uh, in fact, I, I one of the things I love, I love to do, is be on a classical uh, on classical radio and say, "Oh, you know, this soundtrack is uh, by this video game composer, 
And it has this hip-hop producer on board who uh, you might have heard on Kendrick Lamar's record. Yeah. You know? And here's Kendrick <laughs> Lamar. Uh, so the producer for Kendrick Lamar and the composer for TV's Daredevil both making a Spider-Man game. The music for a Spider-Man game. It's like, okay, let's... Great. <laughs> and I don't think there needs to be an apology for that. No. And I say that now with the privilege of, you know, of people like you having gone, having paved the way beforehand. And potentially it could, I, for all I know, the backstory could be that someone at ABC Classic is like, oh, we, we've listened to Emily Reese and we like what <laughs> Emily Reese has done. Or we like what Jessica Curry has been doing. Or we like what these people yeah. have been doing. And we need to do our own version. I don't know. I'm not privy to that part of the conversation. <laughs> Who cares how? Just I glad it to, happened. Yeah. But I have to. Yeah, I have to imagine that it it wouldn't have been. It would have been at least different had it not been for the Emily Reese of it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think I'm egotistical enough to even entertain that thought. But I, <laughs> I just. Uh, I mean, maybe. I. And that's yeah. why we love you. <laughs> I think. Um, uh, you know, I I wish, yeah, that's a different conversation for a different time. But I <laughs> I am so grateful that I got to do it because I do feel like it did open doors for other people to do it. You know, not only in the U.S. but you know at the in the U.K. with Jessica Curry and you in Australia. I mean, it's it it's awesome to to know that that happened and and. I'm so grateful that someone somewhere gave it a chance, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think one of the fun things that happened at the beginning of the process is in that first conversation they were having with me, they were like, oh, so, you know, it was trying to understand the video game uh, medium and demographic and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Is it heavily male focused? I'm like, in a way, yes, in a way, no. Depends. But, yeah, it just depends. Well, yeah. There's a there might be some people who are screaming it's like oh this is this is a place that that entertains these ideas and these uh, very gendered thoughts and mm -hmm. it's just like okay but no really because I'm fairly sure it's it's evenly distributed and depending on your definition of if your definition of gaming is Call of Duty and Halo and nothing else then you're yeah. maybe 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 there's even that I don't know if there's truth to that but maybe there is a truth to that thought if that's the limit of your scope yeah. But if you talk about gaming as an industry, as a global phenomenon, it has no restrictions on these things. And I love yeah. that things are becoming more more in the open. Like a lot, a lot more conversation is happening around what video games are and what they mean. And it occurred to me that a lot of the people that I had heard doing video game radio were not men. Oh yeah! At that point, right, right. <laughs> it, yeah, like, I felt I felt like the anomaly. I was like, I'm the one stepping into a world that isn't mine. At this point, it's like I'm the one who's like yeah. should be stepping aside. Oh yeah! Wow! Yeah, I didn't even think of that. No, I'm I'm glad that you're doing it there, and and just you know, for those listening, you can find the shows all online. Just search for Mina Game Show Australia Broadcasting Company or <laughs> Mina Game Show ABC. Make sure you put Mina's name in, then you'll find it right away. And and I love all the themes too. And so um, I'm just you know like you had like you've already done a best of 
2022 so far. I'm like, good Lord, <laughs> yeah. all I have is like a Google Doc with a few games on it, you know, and you've done like a whole show on it already. Best oh. video game music of 2022. Um, so so let's just wrap on that for a half a minute. What, do you, what are some sure. of your favorite scores? Because I, I looked at, at your list, yeah. So... This is biased because I, I, A, love the game so much, and B, also know, now at this point, know the people who have made the music, yeah. uh, Horizon Forbidden West. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely love it. But I also, what I recognize as we were playing, my wife and I were playing uh, the second game, is Horizon, Horizon seems to be like a take or an offshoot of the idea of Assassin's Creed. Not that it's like it's uh like we want to make an Assassin's Creed but but you know disguise it but it's yeah. like it shares a lot of the same DNA in the most positive way and musically it does as well because the idea of an Assassin's of why I love Assassin's Creed is that it um explores culture and modern textures and it's not actually most most of the Assassin's Creed uh, scores are not symphonic; they're not orchestral. Right. And that's kind of what what's really interesting about them. It's mm -hmm. like how do we take this Greek instrument and fuse it in with some electronics, and then maybe maybe you'll hear a choir if if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's it's going to be a a whole lot of awesome experiments before you reach there. And so when I started hearing the music for Horizon, it that's not orchestral. It's like there's a small string section, mm -hmm. but there's all these different explorations of instruments from different cultures and, and textures and deliberately played not to sound like a culture as well. Right. Like that's, right. that's part of the impetus. But then you have the voice of Julie Elvin, and I love Julie. I love Julie as a human. <laughs> um, we become good friends at this point. And, oh, how nice. Uh, yeah. And it's just as a human and then also like before that as a talent. It's like... Oh God! Yes, yes. The 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 <laughs> themes, the Aloy's theme, forever. And then like what the flights have been doing, and I love the flights. Yeah, I love like what Composing they've done around. Duo. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Joe Henson, Alexis Smith, like, and what they do is is the way they produce their stuff. So this is this is me very biased uh, <laughs> around why I love Horizon and why I think it's one of my favorite scores of 2022. Yeah. That being said, now I have to revisit the list. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm always intrigued by the ways um, culture is explored in video games and culture is engaged with you know by nature. I I love doing that for a, <laughs> for old world and even now I'm I'm. I'm working on a on composing a video game uh, that is around indigenous Australian culture oh, cool. with First Nations musicians, and oh, wow. so that's so I'm the the non-indigenous composer working with a culture outside of my own. So mm -hmm. the idea of how do you honor that and how do you also keep it creative and how do you still compose? Yeah. That whole thing is so fascinating to me. Yeah, uh, very. And I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. The so mm -hmm. the game's called Enchanted. Just a side plug. <laughs> oh, cool! No, I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in I double Enchanted. It's it's a pun. Yes, okay. and the game is full of puns. And um, it comes out. When does it come out? No, no, I have no release date at this point. Okay, okay. Uh, but no I am wrapping up the score. So okay, cool. That's all, all right. I can say at this point of recording. Sure. I'm wrapping up the score. <laughs> beautiful. All right, all right, beautiful. Uh, <laughs> that the, the developers will listen listen back. Like, are you wrapping up the score? <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, are, are you sure you were telling the truth? Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So this idea of exploring culture has been really interesting. So yep. games like Sifu, um, Howie oh. Lee, and what he did with, mm-hmm. like, he's an electronic musician, but who applied these uh, processing and remixing techniques to Chinese traditional instruments mm. and representing elements of Chinese culture, like those five elements that are represented in the game are being mirrored in the music, cool. uh, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. And then things like Ghostwire Tokyo, which is also exploring the relationship between modern Japan and uh, cultural traditional Japan uh, through the music, also including lullabies and poets from the first half, poets and literature figures from the first half of the 20th century. Like that is just <laughs> phenomenal with, yeah. with what they're doing. So to me, those are the things that that I'm drawn to. Oh, um, my God, Trek Tiomi. Trek Tiomi with uh, Cody yeah. Matthew Johnson and Yoko Honda. Yes. Amazing. And the fact that it's authentically instruments of that of the period, even though it's a supernatural uh, premise that doesn't need it. I find that incredible. And how these elements of culture and history are very relevant in 2022, mm-hmm. you know, are very relevant and can be explored. Like they're not relics of history. And this is where one of the ways I find the extreme value of video game music and film music, but the focus here is the ways that video games Video games can explore uh, history and culture through a modern lens, but also bring focus to these things that we maybe forget about as a collective. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. now, now I have to like think of. I mean, Elden Ring is is ridiculous, and you you yeah. tomorrow all day, all yeah. day, all day, all day. Uh, okay. But I feel like that's an extension to the Dark Souls worlds. It's yeah. like it's an extension sonically as well. It's not mm-hmm. like so. I, I think of that not as a 2022 thing, but as a uh, from software thing. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, with the one exception of of, of that 2018 game they did, Deracine, which was like super oh, chill and chamber. It. Yeah. It's a VR okay. game. Okay. We literally just okay. played it played it on the latest episode of the show. So that that will date the recording. But <laughs> Deracine, it's a VR game where uh, where Miyazaki was trying to explore. It's a meta commentary on the existence and non-existence of VR. And it's mm. so chill. Like there are, you know, elements of suspense and everything, but it's yeah. not Dark Souls. It's not Bloodborne. It's 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 the other side. It's the B side of the LP, sort of gotcha. so to speak. If yeah. that's did I say that right? The B side of the LP? Because I've yeah. never done vinyl. <laughs> <Okay, go on. laughs> well, there's there's only two <laughs> sides, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I know because I think that of that in ca- uh, in cassettes, but I don't actually. Oh, yeah. I recognize that. It, am I saying the B sides thing in the correct context? Yes. In the way that someone <laughs> someone's like, oh, it's like hummus. Is that how you say it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like to me right now. <laughs> it's like no, you nailed it. Uh, yeah, you nailed cool. it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so like yeah. that's just what draws me in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's just off, that's like what has remained in my memory because well, of my own bias. Well, and that's the so. best part of it is that there's so many 
amazing, wonderful choices, right? I mean, mm, there's just absolutely. there's so much good music constantly just coming out in games, so it's it's fantastic. But let's move on from music and and talk just briefly about slam poetry, uh, a world that I know very little about. Um, <laughs> you know, other than just what people know about slam poetry, I guess. Um, how did how did that start for you? And when you write poetry, are you writing in English? Are you writing in Arabic? Are you doing both? Um, talk, talk to me, because Arabic is such a beautiful language, and poetry especially. Oh. So, oh, linguistically, yes. Like, yeah. See, the, I do not write in Arabic because okay. my favorite poet is Jibran Khalil Jibran, okay. the author of The Prophets. And okay. sorry, but people say Khalil Gibran. It's like Gibran Khalil Gibran. Again, I have like another <laughs> another thing. <laughs> so I read his like his. He wrote in English and Arabic. So when I read his Arabic poetry, I'm completely dwarfed. I'm like, I'm gonna try right now. I'm gonna practice <laughs> for a long time before I do this. Yeah. That being said, I have written done creative writing in Arabic throughout my life. Sure. But he's just on another level. Yeah. But my own journey, my first ever encounter with slam poetry or just spoken word poetry, performance poetry, because mm -hmm. sometimes people think of slam poetry as a very specific genre, sure. whereas it's actually, it's a medium of competition. It's not actually a genre of poetry. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> because yeah. there is this <laughs> this thing from Parks and Rec where Leslie Nope is like, anything can be a slam poem if you say it like this, or the... <laughs> <laughs> what was it from 22 Jump Streets Jonah Hill <laughs> I think that's the context where a lot of people think about it's okay. like Cynthia I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. the context a lot of people have but for me it actually started with hip hop Okay, because I love hip hop Oh yeah. and in the early days of Kanye uh, I was really into his records and into yeah. the rappers he worked with mm -hmm. uh and you know, especially I also love John. Le John Legend is one of my John Legend is one of my favorite artists. So all through that Kanye connection, yeah. um, but there was a Kanye song called "Never Let Me Down," which uh, sampled Chaka Khan's Chaka Khan's vocals, but okay. also it had Jay Ivy on it, and it was this third verse that was it was rap, quote unquote rap, but not rap. I'm like okay. I did not know what that was. <laughs> and I was just really, I really loved that song. So I listened, I, uh, I, I, I went on YouTube, this is around 2007. I'm a 20-year-old at this point, and I'm looking for the, the music video that might possibly exist for this song. So Never Let Me Down, music video. Mm -hmm. And I come across J.I.V. Never Let Me Down. I was like, what? And it's, it's the guy on stage to an audience. I click on it, and that's the first <laughs> thing I ever see. And he's just, it's J.I.V. doing his verse from that song as a performance poem, as a slam poem. Okay. And I was like, I have no idea what this is, but I love it. <laughs> this is not, this is not rapping. It's, it's poetic, but it's, mm -hmm. it's got some cadences of rap that I, that, of the stuff that I enjoyed. And it's got the, some really awesome rhyme structures, but... This is not what I was looking for, but I'm glad I found it. Uh, <laughs> and I realized that was a an upload from the the from Russell Simmons' Def Jam Poetry, which ran for six seasons. I think the last season was was the year that I had started looking at it, and I went down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos, yeah. and 
Def Jam Poetry, just looked up the word Def Jam Poetry, Def Jam Poetry, and saw poetry in a whole new light. It wasn't the thing that we studied at school. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, it's not, not that it's studying at school is a problem, but it was very strictly defined in terms of right. um, some certain poets or, you know, here's, here's a cryptic, here's six cryptic lines um, and you have to like to contemplate on them for a day to understand what the author might have been saying, and you have yeah. to contextualize all these things. Whereas what I was finding with spoken word poetry is like there was this raw emotionality um, that was on display, and it was very powerful. It was almost theater, but it wasn't. It was like re- theater, but with very real stories. I mean, yeah. not that theater doesn't have real stories, but yeah, like these are just people telling these stories and very in very cool awesome ways mm-hmm. and so i started experimenting with that i was still i'd already been writing hip-hop and writing my own verses but okay i'd and i'd pro- been producing hip-hop as well so it was like it was an interesting thing to have already been in that world right and then explore spoken word and i started started writing it and you know showing it to a couple of friends mm-hmm. uh you know, who who had a bit of appreciation, but, you know, sometimes they're like, poetry. <laughs> There'd be a face. Yeah. There'd be a face. It's a like, face. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, man. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, what the hell's wrong with that guy? You know, it's just like, um, so it was that kind of uh, vibe. But mm-hmm. uh, then I started looking for spoken word events around Australia, around where I was. And I was actually in another state at the time. Okay. And I was uh, looking for the the slam poetry competition. I, there was the Australian Poetry Slam, and there were competitions and heats that went to every state. So I decided to go. It's like, cool, I'm going to go. Uh, took a couple of friends with me, one of whom was actually uh, American, so she already knew what, what, what this was about. Sure. And then others who weren't American who were like, oh, this is completely new. But, like, you know, the friends that I was hanging out with a lot were like, yeah, now we're not going to go. It's like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, and I did, uh, I performed. Actually, no, I'd been performing. I found a couple of venues, like, uh, in in my home state, in the state that I was in. So I was starting to, like, you know, get into the scene and meet people around the scene. Uh, but this one, specifically, the Australian Poetry Slam Heat, uh, I went into it, and I got through to the state final, uh, which was like, whoa, what? Okay, so we go to the state, they fly me out to the state final, and this was in Queensland, and there I meet other people who have, you know, been finalists in their states, and so I'm meeting some people who, little did I know, I would know for a long time in the scene. Okay. You know, I would just, these are poets, and including people I collaborate, I then collaborated with quite a lot, and miraculously I got through that as well to the national final and I shouldn't have because <laughs> one of the, I'll tell you, because the, the poets that's uh, one of the poets uh, that I ended up collaborating with who's the Greek poet I told you talked about earlier oh, yeah. Luca Lesson uh, that's the that was the night I met him and the only reason 
he didn't make it through is he was losing points because he went over time because people were applauding his poem and interrupting it. <laughs> like he was, he was just, his poem was so good wow. that, you know, he had to stay there for like 20, 20 to 30 seconds that he did not have in the, in the composition <laughs> rules, trying to try to talk over the applause. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is, so it's a really weird thing. Yeah. But, and at that point, I was studying something. I wasn't even studying music. I was um, doing another degree to get a quote-unquote real job, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and I was still, you know, I was struggling with this idea of being an artist. Um, and I'd had some resistance uh, from my family at that point because, you know, we don't want you to see, we don't want to see you not have, you know, not succeed. And mm -hmm. this is incredibly tough. Uh, so understandably, but also, oh, I'm going to do what I want. You know, <laughs> it's like, kind of like, it's <laughs> like, yeah. so you can't stop me. Um, yeah. Which is probably, like, I could say that, I could laugh about it now, but uh, it's a very different idea when you're going through it. Yes. Um, and so I got to the national final, which was taking place at the Sydney Opera House. Oh, wow. And I was like, wait, I'm going to do spoken word poetry on the at the Sydney Opera House? Is this really happening <laughs> right incredible, now? That's incredible, yeah. It's, it, it was ridiculous. Um, and it was, I think at that point, my parents kind of had this thing of, oh, you, you you could succeed in this, yeah. you know? And it was the year after that I started studying music and everything. So for, I, I I didn't win the, the, the National Slam. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that became kind of me being part of the, part of the spoken word scene in Australia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, subsequently in other parts uh, outside of Australia, which was mm -hmm. really fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but... It was also the thing that said to me, you be an artist. Like, you know, there is a place for you out there. Because yeah. it was coming to me at a time where I was just like really lost with myself and I didn't know. And then there was enough people who responded to something I did that said, which isn't me like looking for validation. But in in terms of what I was going through at the time, it's like there's there needed to be something outside of me that said you can do this as a as a as yeah. not as a career but as a life because mm -hmm. i sometimes hate to think of art as a career even though it is right but it's <laughs> because it's a life it's a life yeah. that you choose mm -hmm. um with all its challenges and and also all its blessings it's mm -hmm. And that was kind of what pushed me into it. And the next year, I started studying composition, and I was doing spoken word. And oh, cool. just the two were kind of growing side by side. Sure. And, you know, it, I was collaborating with poets as a musician and as a poet. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. It started, like, you know, every now and then we'd start doing group pieces where we'd, like, you know, two or three of us on stage and perform together. And it was just, it, it's almost like being in, an, in a musical ensemble. Right. You know? No, of course. But, the rhythms are a little little looser, but maybe mm -hmm. this is like, you know, being in an ensemble where you're exploring things that are a bit rubato or a bit arrhythmic, but mm -hmm. they still have their own rhythm. Yeah. And what I found that it was that spoken word as well was helping me explore things outside of the musical constructs that I had grown up with. Mm -hmm. um, even though yeah. I did have other, you know, uh, I felt like I was still had constructs that were really cool, but... I could start exploring the idea of rhythm with rhythms within rhythms and odd meters as functions of speech. Because with hip hop or with a lot of hip hop, um, you know, you're doing things to a four, four grids and mm -hmm. then you're kind of going in and out of it. But you like, you know, 
at the backbone is a 4-4 kind of beat. Mm-hmm. Again, not always the case, but with this, there was no, I was the backbone. So, I start, you know, I could speak in certain rhythms and things that felt like they could go on, you know, for six beats and then things to go on yeah. for like, you know, eight beats and then things to go on for, for three beats very naturally. And that's when I kind of learned more about speech. And I would say that that then plays into radio. Oh, for sure. Because, because you start to kind of develop a voice on a microphone or a voice. I mean, with radio, you're I'm still trying to be myself. Yeah. But when you're on stage, I started doing MCing, like started MC gigs, like, you know, just be uh, host them and and present people. And I just really love that as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you, you can kind of play within the, I'm now putting on a voice. I'm going to perform <laughs> for you right now. Yeah. And uh, I'm on the radio with Emily Reese. And she's looking at me with belief in her eyes. You know, I can start doing that. And then right. I can start just having a conversation with the audience. Mm-hmm. And so all these things, they all play into each other for me. And I just find that incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I think of you know, people who are improvising poetry on the spot. Uh, Which I don't do, by the way. Oh, you don't that's, that's do? The, that's okay. an incredible skill set that I do not have. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a whole different level. But even just <laughs> collaborating with people on stage with spoken word is very mm. free jazz to me. I think of free jazz because there are constructs and there are limitations to each actor in the group. Yeah. Um, but there really aren't limitations, right? You can, you you know, the successful group will be listening to each other and playing off of each other, but also mm-hmm. within this completely free, no meter, no key, no, you know, so, which, yeah. Which can also be kind of similar to a theatrical experience, to, to performing, mm-hmm. because the, if... Because the spoken word that I do is always written out. Like I've okay. written it out and I've memorized it. So it's yeah. almost like being an actor on stage. And Yeah, yeah. It's, 100%. Yeah, and it's just like mm-hmm. – it's and now because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a tour uh, in a play where I'm not I'm, – I'm playing the piano in the play. But uh, I'm observing uh, other actors and what they're doing with their characters and how they respond to each other and how they stretch it and how they change it with each yeah. uh, with each run. And it's so, it's so interesting. It's, it's a relationship to text that you have and how do you play yeah. with it, yep. you know? And you don't always perform the same poem the same way twice. Oh, for so sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> some, and so, sometimes it's your, your state of mind at the time mm-hmm. that's playing into what, how you're emoting and, yeah. or how you're not emoting which is its own version of emoting. Right. Uh, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, it's super. And I think this, it's, it's also this really interesting thing of how real are you being versus how performative are you being and what do you actually need? And I don't use performative in the negative way that's like, oh, you're, it's performative activism. No. It's yeah. like what, what affectations are you applying and for what purpose? Mm-hmm. And because it could be, it could be comedic. Yeah. And, just like video games and video game music, sl- uh, spoken word poetry is a realm of exploring so many things. Like there's – because I, I used to grow up with this idea that music, that all songs had to be love songs because the songs that I heard were all like, oh, I like you and, and I want to be with you or I hate yeah. you because we, we were together. And it's like – then I started kind of understanding that 
there was a lot more to songwriting than <laughs> yeah. than this this topic. It's a powerful mm-hmm. topic because human relationships are important, but there's so many things to be talking about. Yeah, and in the same way, spoken word, in the same way, video games. People think of video games as you know they might think of them as two or three games or archetypes, yeah. and that's what it means. There's so much you can explore, <laughs> and that's one of those things that I learned even more throughout doing the radio show um, and exploring all these different soundtracks from indie games and AAA and things that are non-combat based and things that are uh, that, like completely exploratory versus things that are like roguelikes, all these different genres. You just, mm-hmm. it explodes. And that's with spoken word poetry. You Yes, there are some, what's the word? Mainstream hallmarks, but- Sure, yeah. To to focus on that as the entire art form is so limiting. Yeah, uh, yeah. and it's just so interesting to hear. To just to, and this is why I love doing spoken word workshops. Is like people who are developing their crafts. Is I love hearing that that very unique thing that you have to offer that I could never think of. Mm-hmm. I just want to hear that coming out of you. Mm-hmm. And this is just all across all art. But uh, anyway, yeah. tangent on tangent on tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Well, is there a way? Are any of are there videos of you online doing this? I do have a YouTube channel where I have uh, uploaded a few. Uh, I've got uploads from other other channels and my own uploads. Okay, cool. Um, okay, probably nothing that recent, but uh, <laughs> well, no, I you know just to yeah. get a sense for what it's like. And yeah, just just look up my that. name on YouTube. You'll find something. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> well, I mean, Mina, that. There's so many fun things to explore with you, and um, I'm so glad we connected randomly on Twitter. I don't Me even remember too. how oh. that happened. I don't even I, somebody well, I, tweeted I, something and favorited it, and that was how that. Oh, was really? The, I don't remember. Do you remember? Well, for me, uh, all I saw was Emily level with Emily is following you. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Because I'd already been following you. I'm like, why? Why is <laughs> She slipped up, right? This is a mistake, right? It's just like, and then I just messaged, like, oh my God, it's you. It's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't know how you got there then. Like, well, I don't know how you got to the point. You, you know, it's funny, like on Twitter, I personally, I don't care what other Twitter users do, but personally, for me, if someone follows me, I want to follow them back. And I know that some people are like, absolutely not. Some people are like every single time. And (laughs) so if I see someone, so my assumption, I'll have to look now, is that maybe (laughs) you favorited some, maybe I like released a show or something and you gave it a little heart or maybe something. And and then I probably looked at you and was, and it probably (laughs) said, Mina Shamali follows you. And, and I was like, oh, and then, so, yeah, I mean, and then I just, there you, you know, I listened to some of your radio shows and I mean, yeah, that's how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's but, awesome. But yeah, I mean, it's, it was a fun connection to make and I'm grateful for it. And, oh, absolutely. Um, we'll talk again when Enchanted comes out, hopefully. Um, I'm, ass- yeah. I'll, I'm just going to assume that's going to happen in 2023. Who knows? We'll figure it out. I look... I think my own personal thing is I'm hoping it's 2022, but okay. I can't make that decision. I'm right. not making. Right. This is not a. This this is this is not an official. 
statement. Right. Yes. No. Of course. Of course. But do please, we'll keep in touch and and all absolutely, of that stuff. Yeah. But um, loved the work on the Christopher Tin tracks. Just absolutely thank beautiful you. voice and and um, and yeah, we'll thank we'll you, talk bro. again. So thank you so much for chatting with me today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to Level with Emily. You can learn more about Mina Shamali, see a playlist, and support Level with Emily at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of the chat with Mina on the Level with Emily YouTube channel, and do subscribe to the YouTube channel to get all of our new videos of interviews. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com. Made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.